Well, as we all know, the Reserve Bank has raised interest rates nine times in a row. This was the ninth. It's taken the cash rate target to its highest level since September 2012. The 0.25 of a percentage point increase at yesterday's RBA board meeting leaves the benchmark rate at 3.35%, with an average variable mortgage rate now topping 6%. What does it mean? It, it, the increase adds a further $114 a month to repayments on a $750,000 home loan, and it takes the total increase in mortgage costs to 1362 bucks a month for such a borrower. And that's since rates started rising in May last year. Now, some financial experts are saying, well, hang on, listen, we, we think interest rates have, uh, we, we think inflation has peaked and surely the Reserve Bank can show a little bit of compassion. Uh, and I know that there'd be pressure from politicians because politicians don't want these high interest rates, but the Reserve Bank has to stay uh, neutral and, and can't, cannot be swayed by government policy. But what do you do when at the same time you've got power prices soaring and we were told that we were going to save on power prices this year and it just and the opposite has happened how are you supposed to make ends meet how are you supposed to sleep at night worrying that you just can't pay the bills and make ends meet leader of the national party is david littleproud and it's good to be able to catch up with him he's on the phone right now david good morning to you good morning thanks for having me a tough day yesterday for average homeowners and average Australians, and you, you couple the interest rate rise with the already soaring power prices, and Australians are finding it hard to sleep at night. Yeah, mate, yesterday's decision is the triple whammy of this cost of living crisis that Australian families are feeling. It's not just your mortgage, it's also your energy bill, and it's also your food bill. And this is where the government uh, wants to put aside the ideology and start to think about the practical reality of people's wallets, because this is a real crisis that families are doing without, doing without some of the basics, giving up private health insurance, walking away from a lot of things they simply now can't afford. And this is where the government needs to understand they have a real role to play in this. Uh, they've had eight months uh, particularly when you look at your food bill and your energy bill, they've had a real opportunity to fix that. And they haven't because they've had an ideology that doesn't match the practical reality of the real world. And unfortunately, the real world is the pain that those Australian families are feeling at the moment. And we've tried to be constructive. We've tried to give the, the concepts and the ideas that will work. But unfortunately, uh, this new government has ignored it. Uh, and we just hope that they're going to have to listen to the pain that's out there uh, to, to change the, this ideology that they brought to government. And the cost of food is another big issue. It, it, it's the big three, isn't it? It's interest, it, rate, it is. it's interest rates, it's, it's power, it's electricity prices and gas. And I want to get to gas in a second, but it's also the, the, the price of food. What, what have we done with gas? I, I often get callers ringing me saying, how come we have the gas under our feet and we sell it overseas and yet we buy it back at such an enormous rate. Now, can you explain that? Because I know that you actually have Senex in your electorate. Yeah. So, so what happened was when we developed in my own electorate, the Strat Basin, what happened was Anna Bly, who was the Queensland Premier, and Julia Gillard, the Prime Minister, 
uh, didn't want any of that gas going into the domestic uh, uh, system because what they wanted was to continue to use the coal-fired power stations that the Queensland government owned that gave the Queensland government, it gives mm. them about a $1.8 billion dividend every year. So mm. the gas companies were forced to export. And so they've gone and exported and they've, and they've got all these markets that they've done, but there was no increase in supply. And so what's happened is this reckless pace that this government's going at with respect to renewables means that you still need, and uh, I'm all for renewables, but there's this thing called firming because even AEMO will tell you that, uh, that renewables can't do it all. You actually need to have more eggs in the energy basket. And gas is one that you can switch on and off. Mm -hmm. But what this mob uh, has an ideological bent against is gas. And so you could increase supply. Senex, a company that was about to invest a billion dollars in my electorate alone, 300 new jobs, uh, has pulled that investment because of this cap price mechanism they put in. So they're saying, well, why would I go and spend a billion dollars if the, because of government risk and, and, and may not get the return I need? Because everyone thinks, oh, they're greedy. Well, let me tell you, they have to make big capital investments up front and the market shifts back and forward all the time. Uh, and it's like a farmer planting a crop. They have to put the big, the big investment up front and hope that the market's with them. So they don't yeah. have the confidence. And, you're, and you've got to understand too, if you don't can increase the supply of gas, which we're not, we're chewing into the reserves we've got. Yeah. So that means simple grade eight business economics tells you if supply goes down, price goes up. So no matter the 6,000 words Jim Chalmers wrote about changing capitalism, those, those economic principles have stood the test of time and you can't change. Not a treasurer from, from Australia can change that in any way, shape or form. Let's talk about quickly Senex and Santos and, and Origin. Uh, I understand, and as you said, Senex is in your electorate. They were about to drill. Now, let me just, can you explain this to me? Why are we selling gas and, and that the gas that we do create ourselves here in Australia overseas and buy it back at an inflated price. Why hadn't, haven't we, I think WA got it right, but why haven't yeah. we said, let's have enough gas to supply Australian demand before we send it overseas? Sure, send it overseas, make some money, but you've got to look after your own people first, haven't you? Have I got this wrong? No, totally. But that's the problem, is that Anna Bly and Julia Gillard told them not to do that. They didn't want it into the domestic system. They didn't want it competing with the Queensland's coal-fired power stations. So they said they told the gas companies, build the pipeline to Curtis Island and put it on a boat and send it overseas. So the gas companies have done exactly what they were told to do right. when they developed all this. And that, unfortunately, now is coming back to buy. And what, but what the reality is this, when we were in government, we could work with the Sanexes, the Santoses and the Origin, and they're prepared to increase supply. And credit where credit's due, uh, the Palaszczuk government about four years ago opened up new tenements in the Surat Basin, and that was just for domestic supply. And so these companies are prepared to put it in. And you've got to understand with gas, you can get gas into the system in months, not years, because we've got the infrastructure there to pipe it around the country, particularly the East Coast. So these companies are prepared to drill the holes, but this government's come into a mechanism, and, and, but have now put a mechanism on them that has taken away the confidence to invest. And so there's no holes being drilled, and we're now drawing down on our reserves, which means the supply goes down and prices are going to continue to go up. And you may not get any more supply, which means we are going to be in a real mess in about 12 months. If you can re reduce the average 
Australians' cost of living while we put up with these high interest rates and the experts are saying they're going to keep going up until May. I, I don't know what your gut feeling is. I'm not an economist. What do you think? Do, do you think we'll see another interest rate hike next month? Yeah, look, I think the RBA is going to have to uh, lick the finger and put it out the window uh, and just realise the pressure that they are putting on households out there. But, the if, inflation, but if inflation has, has peaked and, and, and some economic experts are saying that's the case, couldn't they ease off? Yeah, exactly. And this is this is the thing is you can ease off, uh, particularly if you address uh, where the key inflationary pressures are. And that's around energy. So that's about increasing supply. I'm not an academic, but I can tell you, I learned in grade eight business economics, you increase supply, uh, the price comes down. You can also with food, what they've done is we're actually, agriculture's only working at about 63% capacity in terms of our horticulture and our processing sector, because we don't have the workforce. Ag, uh, NFF said that we need 172,000 workers that we're short on at the moment to get food from a paddock to your plate. Now, they took away the ag visa that was going to put those 172,000 along with the Pacific scheme, but the AWU said to the Labor Party, no, can't do that. So farmers don't have the confidence to plant and abattoirs don't have the workers. So what happens is there's only a certain amount of supply that's hitting the shelves, and so you're paying for it. And so it's been exacerbated by the natural disasters. We're just saying, use some common sense. There are practical measures that you can put in place that will that'll drive down inflationary pressures, particularly in food, and also in energy. And, and energy, this is the problem, is they have an ideology that is getting in the road of the practical reality, and that practical reality is hitting your wallet every time you open up that electricity bill. David Littleproud is with us here on the night shift around Australia. David, uh, we're, we're running out of time. I, I did want to talk to you about the voice referendum yep. that, that it was coming up, I think, October. Uh, I'm a proud Indigenous Australian, as you know, uh, yet I... And I, and I follow current affairs, I am still confused as to what question is going to be put to the Australian people. And, and I, I'm really looking into it. But you, you can't answer questions after you've asked people to change the constitution. You, you've got to go to a polling booth knowing exactly what it is you're voting for. I, I still am confused. Yeah. And look, most Australians think The Voice is a TV show. Um, and, and most Indigenous Australians, even in my own electorate, think that. Now, we got to a position on this because... The scant detail that's there is going to be another representative body. Now, we've been down this pathway before, and it'll be another layer of bureaucracy. And this is simply about us wanting to close the gap. We genuinely come to this with, with pure intent about closing the gap. There are already over a 1,000 consultative bodies to government from Indigenous groups at the moment here in Canberra. In fact, there are 11 Indigenous voices already in this parliament elected. There are 227 voices in this parliament through senators and members of the House of Reps, and I'm one of them, and I take very seriously uh, my representation of the nearly 12,000 Indigenous Australians in my own electorate. And we have done some good work, and I think we can't, we can't let some towns where there's, there's real problems that we need to address to get in the, in the way of what we have achieved as a nation, yeah. but practical measures that actually shift the dial on domestic violence, on, on, on actual uh, education gaps and those types of things are what we need. And this is about the bureaucracy getting out of Canberra, not sending a couple uh, to Canberra. And you've got to understand that most of the regional regions will be hundreds of thousands of square kilometres with hundreds of communities that have different needs. And you're asking one Indigenous person to come and to represent those communities, you need to have the community design their own project. And Cunnamulla in my electorate is a perfect example of this. The community got behind the HOPE program where uh, young Indigenous women who, who 
uh, having children, they, they nurture them all the way through the pregnancy, all the way to school, and they're getting better outcomes. But it only got the good outcome that we're achieving now is because the community believed in it. Not one or two individuals that came from somewhere else and said, this is what you should do. The community had buy-in in the program, and that's why it's successful. We've got to tailor solutions in each of the community. We've got the mechanism to do that. And, you know, I, I think if, if the government had come to the nationals and said, um, look, in the preamble, we should, be, we should be saying that Indigenous Australians were here first and we're a better country for us being together, but they were here first and acknowledging that, I think I sense my party room would be um, would be overwhelmingly supporting that. Yeah, but well, to we... put more bureaucracy in is not going to shift the dial. And we're the victims. We're the ones that, that see the consequences of this because we are the ones that represent remote Indigenous Australians. I, I wanted to talk to you about Alice Springs. I don't know. How are you going for time? I wanted to talk no, to you I'm about good. No, I'm good. what's happening in Alice Springs. I have been friends and in communication with Jacinta Price, former Deputy Mayor of Alice Springs, for a long time now, way before, way before she... Um, she entered the Senate. And we, you talk about, and, and I'll, I'll say it again, I'm a proud Wiradjuri Indigenous Australian, but you look, I, I just worry about how divisive this is. And I also worry about the lack of communication in selling it because I still don't quite know what I'm expected to vote on. But you look at significant Australian dates and we have welcomed the country everywhere. You've got the anniversary of the National Apology, February. National Close the Gap Day, March. National Sorry Day, May 26. The anniversary of that really, really important referendum in 1967 that affected my mother and my aunts and uncles. That was that was a magnificent win. But you've got Reconciliation Week, Marbo Day, Coming of the Light, NADOC Week, and yet you still have people saying, oh, we've got to give Indigenous Australians more recognition. Yeah. And this is this is really where people like Jacinta Price is, is talking through lived experience. And when you, when you talk about what's happening in Alice Springs, there are two Indigenous voices in Parliament that were telling this government as far back as June yep. of what was happening in Alice Springs that they shouldn't have got rid of the grog bans and the cashless debit card that this government took away that and, and cancelled that we put in place that that takes about eighty percent of social security payments and make sure it goes and, and is quarantined into Tucker for, for the kids and making sure that it goes to the essentials of life. Uh, they've taken that away. So they put hundreds of thousands of dollars into these communities that were going into alcohol and drug abuse. Now, they say that they, they, they changed all this because they wanted to give dignity, dignity to, to those in these communities to be able to live like everyone else. But what about the dignity of the women and children who are hiding at night from from my from men who are drug fueled. What about the businesses that have had the sweat and courage and conviction of their own wallet to have a go and have been broken into and vandalised? What about their dignity? The government's primary responsibility is to keep its people safe, and unfortunately, you've got to sometimes govern for the greater good. You've got to have the courage to to govern for the greater good, and if that means that some people's dignity isn't isn't as high up on the agenda as the overall good of the society then you've got to be courageous to make those decisions. Oh, and that's what this government hasn't done. I, I, I could agree more. And you look at, for example, in New South Wales, uh, Dominic Perrottet is now talking about a cashless uh, poker machine card. Now, just to make an analogy, they're talking about uh, getting rid of cash in poker machines, one, to stop money laundering and criminal activity, but also to try and help protect people from themselves. Now, is anyone saying, oh, but what about the dignity of those people who can't help themselves but keep putting their, their entire week's wages in the poker machine? Sometimes 
you've got to see a problem and say, listen, we need to fix it. Yeah. And this is where, I mean. Is that a fair analogy? It is spot on. And and this is the thing, this is the thing that frustrates the nationals. And there's plenty of people that are looking down on us and saying, saying all terrible things about Jacinta Price and the nationals and, and myself. And that's okay. But we come from this through lived experience. We come through this and, and looking at from trying to put practical solutions, bringing common sense to Canberra that goes, the ideology that might work in Redfern won't work in Mulcanya. It won't work in Alice Springs. It won't work in Wadair. You actually need to empower those communities with a tailored solution. And instead of having the bureaucracy sitting on their rear ends here in Canberra, they should be taken out and sat around the campfires, sit around the town halls. And until they have the the bespoke solution for those communities, they're not allowed back in Canberra because the solution in Alice Springs is going to be different to that in what airs it will be in Carnarvon in Western Australia. But you won't shift the dial unless there's buying from the community and the community owns those solutions. And that's where the government has gone wrong on this. Let me just, let me just explain this for folks who are listening and you might say, Oh, it's racist to go to remote Aboriginal uh, settlements and say, okay, the grog has got to stop. Listen, the grog is a problem and it's almost a biological problem, David, because I don't have, a European liver, and I don't process alcohol maybe as efficiently as you. Uh, I'm generalizing here, but I'm just saying yeah. uh, my folk, my people, we don't react well to grog. And and I've had to address it myself. I just don't, I don't have a European liver. So you've got to address the problems that come with alcohol, but there's also child abuse. There's poor health. There's all sorts of problems that don't need more money being thrown at them. It, it, it takes understanding of people living and working in these remote Aboriginal communities, and you have them in your electorate, and we've y- got to address real problems, and we can't be embarking in tokenism. Yeah, and, and this is where ideology gets in the way of practical reality, and, and you've got to govern for the greater good. And, and unfortunately, um, when part of the, the problem is substance abuse, you've got to be... You've got to be courageous enough to address it. Yep. And, and that, unfortunately, is what we're saying is in a practical sense, let's address this because we just, as a nation as smart and as rich as what Australia is, we should actually have the ambitious goal to say we've closed the gap across this country by 2030, 2035. Nowhere in this voice is there anywhere saying that we're going to have an ambitious goal to complete the closing of the gap. Instead, it goes into perpetuity. This is where we're just saying they've got it wrong. We should be acknowledging in the preamble. But if you if you go down this track, you are simply saying that all we are going to do is we're going to accept mediocrity, we're going to accept failure, rather than saying we we don't need a voice because we have closed to the gap, and every Australian, every Australian, no matter their colour or creed, is treated equally in this country, and you've got the same opportunity. And if we square that up and have the courage to do that, that's more important. That's going to shift the dial more than anything else. David, look at the time. We, uh, <laughs> I could talk to you uh, all morning, but thank you so much. These things need to be addressed. And if you're asked to change the constitution, but you are still not quite sure actually what the question is, well, then you say, go back to the drawing board. But if it's okay to say, I'm not a hundred percent across this, it's okay to say that without being called a racist. Yeah. Yeah, this this is this should be a, a deeply personal decision for every Australian, and they should look at it through the lens that we uniquely do, uh, as as people who represent remote communities. I get in capital cities they might want to feel good and say that I've done something, but we're passionate. We're the ones that live with the consequences of this, 
and we just see we're going down the same path we did before, a representative body that effectively adds another layer of bureaucracy won't, won't close the gap. Let's be courageous. Let's actually close the gap. And, and if we want to acknowledge in the constitution uh, uh, Indigenous Australians, let's do it another way. And that's all we're saying to the government. I, I, I have no beef with the Prime Minister. He genuinely comes to this with the same intent as we do. Uh, but we just think we're going down a pathway we've been before that won't close the gap. And that'll be the biggest failure, I think, that we could make. Uh, David, just quickly, this dreadful, dreadful earthquake in Turkey, two of them, two earthquakes. Uh, at, at the time of you and I talking now, uh, 4,300 4, dead. And God knows what the, uh, the death rate will be by the time this interview goes to where in the morning. Uh, Australia, the government has pledged $10 million in humanitarian aid to Turkey and Syria, but it's unbelievable looking at the footage, isn't it? Yeah, look, it, it just reinforces the fragility of life and, you know, you, how lucky every day is to be here and with your loved ones. Uh, and look, I, I congratulate the government. They're, they're making initial steps to, to help financially. And, and I think, obviously, the global community will come together for this tragedy. Uh, and we need to. And I think out of all this disaster, the only thing is that humanity shines through. And that's the only thing, the only glimmer of hope you can say in these dark hours is that it, it does galvanise the global community together to support one another. And that, that, gives you, that gives you faith a little bit in humanity and where we might end up. David Littleproud, leader of the Nationals, good to talk to you. We need to talk more. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. David Littleproud here on the Night Shift, Triple M.